Hey everybody, this is Gwitank, and I'm back with another episode. I spent the last couple of weeks doing overtime. Um, my job as an x-ray tech has a side gig of um, scanning lead aprons for holes. And just so for anybody out there in the medical field, hang the damn things up properly. You know, you throw them in a pile or throw them worse on top of an IV pole, you're going to get holes punched through them. And, you know, maybe check yourself out to an oncologist if that's the way you're doing things. Um, anyway, that aside, I was doing extra overtime, not just because of the holidays, but because I was going to be off for a week with knee surgery, which I just had yesterday. Um, and prompts me to talk about a character in a game who had a lasting injury. Um, one of the groups I run is of a bunch of juniors. They are using um it's a GURPS dungeon fantasy game and GURPS dungeon fantasy usually runs at 250 points which kind of roughly translates to i don't know fifth to eighth level in in an old school game um so they're playing at 125 points which is mm, maybe second to third and there's a couple of them that are you know, the, the one who's a straight fighter is maybe equal to a fourth-level fighter. Um, but the character in question is an archer. And he started out with... Um, he's, he's a pretty good go-getter of a character. And he's an excellent shot. But in close combat, he's got a few limitations. And one of the things is that he started off kind of broke and had a low level of equipment so he didn't have good armor and armor and GURPS does not make you harder to hit um, your ability to get hit is based on how big you are so someone who's average size as a person is no modifier you got somebody who's like a halfling there you know it's minus two to hit them and an ogre is got plus two to be hit so the value of armor in that case is that it reduces the damage you get hit with. So he was wearing very light armor and got socked in the knee with a mace, which initially did enough damage to cripple the limb. They did some healing on it, but um, the priest they had was not equipped with the ability to restore broken limb, even though the hit points came back. So he was stuck with... Um, a disadvantage that made him have difficulty moving around and eventually uses character points to increase his movement but he still walks with a limp eventually when it heals completely he's actually going to be faster than he started as a, as a character um, <clears throat> having partially bought off the disadvantage and increased his speed he's going to be able to run really fast once he heals completely now seeing as I'm hobbling around like that I do really appreciate the circumstance he was in um, right now, the group has just finished fighting off something that... Uh, give me a minute. Let me look in, up where it came from. Oh, there we go. It took me a minute to look up. Uh, my computer died recently, so I've only got back up on my tablet at the moment. So there was a great free PDF uh, by uh, Roger Estri uh, Sorola. Um, let me see what... Called um, Varlets and Vermin. And let me just see the intro page. It should say something about which website I got this dang thing from. Um, but it's out there and removable. It's, it's a collection of really low-level um, opponents for the OSR. And one of them, 
it's the wounded man. You know, first uh, really appearing on my radar, even though I'd seen um, engravings of the damn thing plenty of times while creeping through uh, Jansen's art history and assorted other art books we've got, um, is that bit in Silence of the Lambs, or at least um, or within those books in um, The Red Dragon, where um, Will Graham talks about having caught um, Hannibal Lecter because he recognized a print of the wounded man and one of Lecter's victims had been left um, <clears throat> assembled in that state with a bunch of weapons stuck through him. In any case, this is a great little PDF. You should pick it up. Um, does he mention where? I'm flipping through here to see where what website it's from. I can't recall it, but it's out there. And props to him for this. If anybody um, happens to remember the website it's associated with, please let me know and I'll definitely credit it. Um, in any case, you've got uh, somebody who's pretty much got nilbogism, who gets stronger the more he gets hit, and the weapons get stuck in him like an adherer. And the way to kill it is to start yanking the weapons out. And then he starts losing, actually taking the damage that the weapon would have done in the first place. And eventually when there's no weapons out, he's going to die. Um, so our crew ran into one of these that had been locked up behind something. I didn't quite originally have a reason for it, but I let the characters propose a reason that I then adopted. Not um, deliberately, but they were, you know, trash talking about what could possibly have made someone be like this and they suspected it was a wish gone wrong that worked out beautifully now the way they found him i mean they did walk past him once in a room that was locked with chains and heard it moaning and banging against the door and we're like yeah we're not doing that nope 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 as they've been you know to most of the adventure hooks i've hit them with um however they had someone with them who's very interested in it. And this is not a regular character. This was an NPC who um, they ran into and is more of a monster that they made a favorable reaction role with. Um, James um, Garrison author of the uh, Heretic Works blog, had put out a great little PDF called Clatterdelve. And in that, he'd introduced a oh, one of the funkier things I've seen. Always stuff I love about the development in the OSR of people's weirdness as, as fan substance. Um, a critical, the Amid. And the Amid is, as he describes it, an alien saucer who's got like an eyeball for a face. And they've got a couple of magical abilities, and they can travel between planes. A while back, I had done some fan art of this creature, and eventually a really big painting that I put in as a t-shirt that's on Society6. And if you use this, uh, look for Yamid there, Y-M-I-D, you'll probably find it, and the rest of my artwork that's there at Society6. Um, and... It tickled me so much after I did a GURPS conversion of this with James's permission that he actually went and bought a copy of my shirt, which is terrific. Um, 
but I really liked the critter, and it was the it was something on the order of um, being a friendly elder thing. Um, initially, they they've got a lot of curiosity as their drive, <clears throat> and they're not entirely destructive. They're just weird. Um, so when the characters first met this. It was because of an incident that happened with one of the creatures who was traveling with them. Now, in GURPS, there is a disadvantage called Weirdness Magnet. And it tends to be had by magicians. It means weird stuff happens to you all the time. It's like having bad luck, but just peculiar. And if there's um, an unusual effect that's going to happen to somebody, it's going to happen to you. Now, one example of this I used on another character who had it... Um, it was part of this great poll of, you know, why do, why do Cthuloid-type beings respond to people in the first place? And, you know, we're nothing, we're like ants. Well, just picture it. What if you came into your kitchen and there was a circle of ants chanting your name? You'd have to go like, well, what is this about? And they'd ask you for something. And it's like, well, what the hell? It doesn't cost you anything. What are like, you know, they're going to want, what, like a teaspoon of sugar? Um, <clears throat> or, you know, one ant dead? Or, you know, th that's no problem. You can take care of that. But, you know, every now and then there'll be, ah, uh, there's this one other ant and I wanted to pay attention to me. And you, you don't have a way of really influencing that. So you, you know, just step on the rest of the ants, just leaving that one. And they're like, oh my God, what have I done? Um... So I had a character running with this disadvantage have that happen. Now, in GURPS, when you cast a spell, there's a chance of failure and catastrophic failure. It's a lot like um, the way DCC runs it, except GURPS did it first. Um, <clears throat> when you have Weirdness Magnet, the disadvantage, the after-effects of a botched spell are much more dramatic. Now, go further with that, um, there was a character traveling with them, Ludlow the Munificent, who is a classic absent-minded professor type who happens to have a little piece of chaos magic. Now, um, there's a fellow who ran a website called The Blue Room that had a lot of third, third edition GURP stuff on it. And one of the things he did was create a spell called Whimsy. That was effectively what a Wand of Wonder does. And in this case, you cast a spell if it succeeds, something happens. But even if you succeed at it, you can have a catastrophic failure anyway. Because it just kind of pokes the universe and says, do something! And you can kind of express some criteria you want. Doesn't mean any of that's going to happen. So there was a group traveling that happened to have Lulu the Munificent, who's another 125-point character, or was at the time, um, who were running into a bunch of evil cultists who were trying to perform a ceremony that would have an effect on this child. Now, the child had an ability called Wild Talent, which can let you do just about anything you try, if you're lucky. You kind of go... Um, you know, I've never done this thing before, let me give it a shot, and you're good at it. And it works for magical abilities as well. And would let, you know, say, you could cast clerical spells, magic user spells, what have you, on a spontaneous 
um, jump and maybe be able to retain the ability. Um, and what they were doing was trying to convert it to make him be um, have demonological powers instead. And our crew tried to interrupt them, and they were in the process of killing off the cultists and trying to, you know, shoot arrows at the, the leader. And Ludlow tried whimsy. And whimsy, in this case, <clears throat> rolled out to have some really deleterious effects that were associated with what was going on. So the demonologists were trying to do something demonological? Well, he opened up a temporary gate to hell and sucked half the dungeon into it, um, causing a street collapse in the area that's been a plot point for a while. Um, and everybody cleared out, rescued the kid and cleared out safely. So Ludlow was traveling with the other juniors. And a big glowing magical gate appeared in the air, which incidentally led to the um, the Vale of Panath into, in, in Lovecraft's Underworld of the Dreamlands. And stepping through it was Imid, who was interested in finding out what goes on. Um, in Dungeon Fantasy, one of the things about the Elder Things is that they all seem to, like, not only have a monopoly on things like psionics and gate magic, but they really are rather punitive to other people who engage in it. In this case, Ymid is more curious than anything and knows that in this vicinity an unauthorized gate was opened. <clears throat> so he came to investigate. And their encounter with him um, really had a bunch of them rattled. Um, you know, it's like every 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 telepathic interaction he had with them was causing neurological damage to some of them. Um, you know, your friendly neighborhood mind flayer, kind of. Except he's not hungry. He's just interested. And he got Ludlow to cast the spell again. And in this case, he ended up creating a um, just-for-men uh, dying comb and had him brush out his beard with it really fascinated by this, asked for the item, and let them hold the device he had, which amounted to being um, a Next tablet from, you know, back in the early 90s. And they're looking at it, and I made a roll to see which thing would happen. And it was running the, um, the pipe screensaver from Windows 93, which freaked them out. And then it had, um, I mean, you know, it's, it is an abomination, a piece of off-book off Apple uh, product running Windows 93. So you know there's something unnatural about it. Um, just said, don't touch the red button. And part of the thing is that the battery apparatus of this is that it garnered natural electrical energy to charge itself, but every now and then had to be discharged. And if you press the red button, you would have gotten hit with a lightning bolt. Um, and they had it in their hands long enough for another random thing to come up. And he got an email from uh, Dark One, written in a language that one of them happened to know, um, talking about uh, the unstable currency in his area. And then if you gave access to a bank account, he'd be able to transfer some gold pieces to you. 
And it's like, hold on to that. I want to see that. But it's like, it's lucky that 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 the you know mock Nigerian prince deal was the email they got because if he'd gotten nudes from somebody, they would have all lost their minds right there. Um, they gave it back. He headed off someplace behind a door. Um, and his method of unlocking doors was to kind of melt the metal around the edge of the door, open the door going in, and seal it back up again. Um, which he ended up uh, telepathically teaching one of the party's mages how to do. Now, this group has got about four people who've got weirdness magnet. So stuff keeps happening to them. One of them had been a mage who had this spell called Winged Knife. Now, in GURPS, there's a variety of missile spells, and the majority of them have you first charge up uh, the energy, and then you have to throw it. And it's kind of Dragon Ball-y in that respect. You know, someone charging up a spirit ball and then throwing it. Um, <clears throat> you know, they got jet spells that are like a Kamehameha. But they don't really have... They, for the longest, they didn't really have a straight magic missile. Now they do. And that particular character has learned it. And it's really feeble, except that it always penetrates armor and it always hits. It bypasses armor without, doing, without be, the damage blocking it, which makes it pretty effective, even if it's just, you know, really small amounts of damage. But before she learned that, she had a critical success throwing winged knife. And what I had that happen was she drew the attention of the Lord of Knives and ended up, instead of throwing the one knife she'd pull out of her, her pocket... And why does why a spell to throw a knife is any good? Um, it throws the knife as if you're really strong. And in GURPS, all of the damage is based on your strength, not modified by your strength. You know, so it does. Um, it's based uh, the you know like a dagger would do, basic thrust damage minus one. Well, that's not a lot if your strength is ten. That's already 1d6 minus 3 points, with a minimum of 1. So that's not doing a hell of a lot of damage. But Winged Knife throws with a strength of 15, where your thrust damage is 1d plus 1. Alright, that's 3 points better. Um, and, if you, and it works with any blade. So you could throw a two-handed sword at somebody and, you know, hit them for you know, two dice or something. So it's, it's, it's a nice spell until you get really good at other damaging spells. And she cast it and ended up flooding her victim with a stream of knives and made him look like St. Sebastian. Uh, like 37 knives hit him. That was another example of a good result with um, Weirdness Magnet. Now back to our group... The Amid left them, and they carried on. Did not go anywhere near the gate, and despite that I had gone and gotten a copy of um, Dreamlands for Call of Cthulhu and had all my conversions set up and ready. That is one of the best things about GURPS. I ran a Call of Cthulhu game for about three years using GURPS Horror and running conversions of it. And, you know, the and it had the same effect. The characters were normal. They, uh, they, half of them ended up going insane and picking up unnatural disadvantages. A lot of them died. Nobody was a hero. And it carried through the theme very nicely.
so they they headed back to their place, which incidentally um, they've got as a base because of that disruption in the streets. There was uh, I, I based a lot of Northport on Ruins of the Undercity by Kabuka Kaiser. That you know, there's a lot of uninhabited buildings because the place has been around for a thousand years or what have you. And in my storyline, I was working with an article from is it Dragon 238? It was the end of the world was the name of the article. Um, and it was the idea of re rewashing your campaign and get rid changing over your NPC roster by having the plague hit. And I'd read a book about the plague the Black Death, um, and it talked about how whole villages would become vacant and turn into ruins in a year or two because there was nobody there. And it was a great way to explain why there are dungeons to explore. So in my world, the plague happened 40 years ago and the population hasn't recovered yet. And Northport's population was being rebuilt out of disenfranchised um, mercenary companies. And there's a whole issue of about there was a strong imbalance in the, in the genders. So it became law to not do anything to harass women at all. And the Hadarium, being the ones executing the laws, uh, would pull a stunt out of GURPS Technomancer and, and you know, give you death plus hard labor. Uh, reanimating you to walk around with a placard saying what you did after killing you in a way that was appropriate to your crime. Um, so there was, Northport was trying to attract women to its population. So there's, um, as opposed to the pseudo-medieval shit of, you know, all oh, women were subservient, weren't allowed to do that, they can do anything in Northport. I got reasons for it. Things to be the way they should be. With everybody being able to move without unnatural social constriction on them. Because it's historical. Anyway. Um, the, a lot of Northport is uninhabited still. And the Hedarium wants neighborhoods to happen and not be degenerated into something that the gang's going to run through and throw graffiti on and just tear up and make the city look bad. They are, after all, uh, servants of a god of law and earth and death. So death and taxes is right up their way, but they like the city to function. So if you're doing something useful on their behalf, say hunting cultists of a death god that wants to destroy the world, um, they you can get in character, you can gain a deed to a place and start changing your neighborhood positively. And so the juniors all live in a block of houses. That's about two blocks away from where the street collapse happened and are starting to make the place respectable. And as they improve their involvement in it, they're getting, they're actually collecting rent from other people moving in and they've got people who support them and they're building a reputation. And that, I think it's, that's not a normal thing for DF as written, where town is just the place where you heal up and buy stuff. Um, I always envisioned it as part of the adventuring locale. And the dungeons are tied into the city. So there's a lot of, you know, you do things, it has effects. I had one 
uh, crew go in um, with a fire mage who absolutely wiped out an entire trollish population. And in this case, trolls are not the Andersonian trolls who are monstrous. We have them too, um, but in the, they're like they're treated like ogres to these normal trollish folk who are green, wrinkly, and regenerate. Um, I pulled a page from uh, Piers Anthony and had, um, oh no, I'm sorry, Robert Lynn Aspirin, and had some of the trolls who survive a trial by fire, which normally would kill them, um, become, come out of it, sort of like uh, with Anne McCaffrey's Crystal Singer, having a Malecki uh, uh, conversion, where instead of being diminished by the experience, coming out all scarred up, um, they came out, beautiful. And those were called trollops. Um, and in one group, I had a character, again, someone with weirdness magnet, have one fall in love with him. And they're planning on having some trollish kids. Um, and part of their adventures have been to uh, beat the dowry conditions of her people. But the that act of genocide, which is really typical of old-school gaming in some ways, um, has had some profound effects on the rest of the game, which a few of the trollish survivors are now full of hatred of humans and occasionally assassinating people in the streets. But more particularly, the next batch of trolls somebody ran into actually now has an alliance with members of the guild and they're engaging in trading with them and it's changing the economic structure of the city. Hey, you know, things happen in the world and the and what your characters do affects the world and changes it. Now everybody's static waiting in the next room to be attacked. Things happen politically. Um, going back to the wounded man, once our characters realized that he was weakening as they removed weapons from him, and an early attack to disarm him was really successful in that he was not attacking them, because initially with bristling with weapons, he was effectively higher hit die, which meant that um, the way I worked it, his strength had increased as well as his hit points and his weapon skill with every weapon that got stuck in him. And as he got brought down lower and lower, he physically weakened, started to bleed out, and could no longer fight them. Now along the way, before they met the wounded man, they had gone down a hallway and found the Amid trapped by spiderwebs, which was exactly the way the Amid in Clatterdelve is found, back, going back to um, James Garrison at Heretic Works. So they freed him, and... He was interested, he was in that area because he was searching for another anomaly, which turned out to be this dude with Nilbogism. And he was very interested in watching the fight, did not participate to help them until they, they were trying to um, restrain him, so he cast paralysis on it, and they were able to just start plucking weapons out. Um, they were concerned about him dying. They actually wanted to save the guy. Now, initially the priest tried to heal him, and... He took damage instead, because that was his state. And we were trying to figure out whether that was just going to kill him, along with the plucking of weapons, or if there was a way to save them. And since they'd introduced the idea of it being a failed wish, 
I set up the conditions of it. So once he finally had everything plucked out, he'd be normal again. And one of the things that our, our archer had, the fellow with the bum leg, was he had a magical item that was a quiver that would produce one arrow. He could draw one arrow from it at a time, and it would last, sit around for about a minute. Not that he could, like, you know, have perpetual arrows being drawn out of it by a couple of people make a stack of them, but he could fire one arrow at a time, and it would stay in the wound and linger for a bit, and then fade away. Um, so he was pulling arrows out and stabbing this guy just to keep him alive while they pulled the other weapons out. And they got the last of it out and healed him, like, up to one hit point, and he's there, just barely holding on. And the Amid's like, let me see if this thing is still working. And stabbed him again. It's like, oh, I thought it would start again. Pity. Um, and they're carrying on from that point. But it's always fun to take something from the minds of the, the creative pool that is the OSR and bring it over into another system. So recently I have made stats for a couple of magic items, including the Hat of the Raquel, which makes you more charismatic, lets you charm person once in a while, and if you jump out a window, cast Featherfall. You have to be holding on to the hat with both hands and holding it on your head. And the idea being that you don't charm everybody, and the spouse or whoever you just charmed is going to be coming after you, so the second floor window kind of looks good. Um, that and a picnic basket that produces food. Um, there are a couple items that do this in GURPS, you know, like a, a pot that will cook anything you throw into it. But in this case, um, if you start losing the silverware, the food comes up kind of not quite food anymore. Looks right, but it's got a good chance of making you sick. Um, and I set that up for the other. Now, a word about the OSR. Great pool of creatives has some really loud assholes in it that I will not deal with anymore. It's caused a major shift in things. Um, and I said, yes, there are some people I've done artwork for because they bought it from me. I will not do direct transactions with them. If they buy my stock art, they buy my stock art. But I am not dealing with um, people who are <sighs> misogynistic, racist, transphobic, homophobic, none of this. It's bad. It's enough that I got among, I count among my friends some people who are really hardly for 2A in the face of school shootings and such because they think somehow that having a rifle will help them against the federal government, which has nukes. Um, leaving that aside, and I'm not going to pick up an argument on that. I got my view. You have your view. Whoever we are, we're probably pretty fixed in it, and we're not going to be responsive to an argument, so let's not. But as to the other, you be hateful. I don't want to deal with you. If you are a threat to people, if you are proposing an ideology that is a threat to my family, and my family includes people in the above categories. i got daughters. I've got a lot of people who are LGBT in my family. I've got people of color in my family. So yeah, if you are against those people, I don't really want to deal with you directly. And Stuart Robertson had come up with this great logo for the old school renaissance or old school role playing or old school revival, whatever you want to call it. 
that was an 80s style blue map of a dungeon spelling out the letters OSR. And yes, it was derivative. We all know that. Uh, and goes back to the old TSR logo or one of them. And that's fine. It was a new thing that was familiar at the same time. And after a certain member of the community came out with something really ridiculous and not dealable, and and another one had just before that done thrown a publicity picture of them with a speaker who is very popular with the alt-right. Um, he's like, that's it. If you don't meet the moral clauses I have, as outlined in my Creative Commons license, don't use my logo. And in the amount of shitstorm that followed after that, he's like, flat out, please, just don't use my logo. Anyone. And I don't really want to be associated, uh, my work to be associated with the group that contains some of these people. Now, for a long time, there was always, any time you get a group of people who don't know each other, who weren't picked beforehand, but maybe have one common interest, you're always going to get some people you disagree with. You're always going to get some people who are assholes. You're always going to get some people who are loud. Occasionally, all three of those hit the same Venn diagram, and you get some loud assholes you disagree with. And, unfortunately, being loud and having a voice, some of them were being mistaken for the entire group. This is a problem if you're not building the group yourself and screening. With any group. However, there are elements that we don't want to be associated with. I love the creativity and the weirdness of people who are effectively making fan-based products for gaming from the 70s and 80s. I really do. Um... I've tried uh, some of the games that people revolted against. Some of them I liked. Hey, I like VTM back when. I don't want to deal with it. And with the edgelords that are running it now. I ran VTM using GURPS. I played it with dots. I will ARP with it. Um, I liked some storytelling games. I own Fate. On the other hand, I tried playing D&D 4E. And, alright, I thought that I, while I like playing with low-powered GURPS characters and the opening-level ones are borderline superheroes, the borderline first-level the force-level characters for 4E are all stacked with powers and abilities and multiple hit dice, and it's like, no, that's not what I'm looking for at all. Um, I can see why people pulled away from it. I can see why people reached for the games of their childhood. Because the stuff that first sparked our interests, everything that brought to mind Harryhausen movies and things like and and weird tales and Conan and stuff like that that was excellent and that was what drove us all to this hobby but not everything was great then um but it was our first escape from our own school bullies and it opened up the doors of things that were fantastical so I understand the nostalgia, and I understand trying to work with that. Hell, I've gone and rebought all my first edition stuff that I had given away years ago when I thought I was never going to game again. I adore the artwork. I have written for old school systems. I sell artwork to people making old school systems. It's something I am very much in tune with, but I still don't want anything to do with these jerkwads. Um, and if you do, that's you. But as it is, I make art, 
You can do what you want with it, but I'm not going to directly sell to people I disagree with. If you buy my stock art, I mean, it's in an open venue and I'm not the vendor. It's through my publisher and through drive-thru. Um, you do that. There have been some great things that have come out of it. Um, you know, Follow Me and Die, Larry Hamilton, has um, been using my artwork. And a whole bunch of other people have. There's, there's a great shot of a thief picking a door who forgot to check for traps. Um, and that's been used a bunch of times. And it's fun. I, I like seeing people enjoy the same things I enjoy. And if you enjoy your gaming, please go and do so.